Well, we've got two scriptures this morning. They're John 8, 36, and Galatians 5, 1. And if you stand for the reading of God's word, we'll start with John 8, 36. They're very short scriptures, too. John 8, 36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And Galatians 5, 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The word of the Lord. Kind of hoping Lee would be here today. He celebrated his 92nd birthday this week. I saw the pictures on, I think that Renee probably posted on Facebook. So our congratulations to Lee. Um, I appreciated the offertory. That, was that Ring the Bells of Heaven? I haven't heard that in a long time. Um, I think my brother could testify to this. Our dad used to sing hymns in the shower. That was one of the songs we would hear emanating from the shower. (laughs) Um, The statement, freedom isn't free, is certainly true. The freedoms we enjoy as citizens in this country have cost the lives of those who who, who, um, fought to gain those freedoms and has cost the lives of those who have fought to protect those freedoms. But I think it's becoming apparent that some of those freedoms, anyway, are in danger of being taken away. Someone has said in regard to the peace that we have in Christ, that the world does not give it and the world cannot take it away. You've probably heard that before. Well, I think the same applies to freedom in Christ. The world does not give it and the world cannot take it away. And this freedom was not free either. It cost Jesus his life on a Roman cross. The wonderful thing about the freedom that we have in Christ is that no one, no government authority can take it away from us. No matter what other freedoms may be limited or taken, we can always have freedom in Christ. Do you believe that? Now, before I talk about the freedom that Jesus has won for us, who put put our faith in him as Savior, let me tell you what I'm not talking about. And Paul addresses this. The whole idea of freedom in Christ has been used by some to excuse or approve of attitudes or behaviors that at best are questionable, at worst are sinful. Paul warns of that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And I'll refer to that passage of Scripture again later. Freedom in Christ is not just about what you are free to do. It is also about what you are free not to do. You understand what I'm talking about? I think a lot of times, some people anyway feel like, man, the Christian life and all these things that... I would like to enjoy, but I can't because I'm a Christian. 
And really, if there may be some things, I, I've got this little, I, I couldn't find it, but um, it's a little booklet thing that um, my grandfather actually wrote called um, Some May, I Cannot. And it talks about the things that, you know, God places convictions on our hearts about different things. And so, some things that you may be able to do and God gives His approval to, I may not. God's placed a conviction on me about that. And I think sometimes people have looked at freedom in Christ as, as well, um, you know, once you have freedom in Christ, those kind of things don't apply anymore. You're just basically free to do whatever you want and... And so, when we feel like God has placed some convictions on our hearts about things that we shouldn't be doing, things that would be displeasing to Him, we rebel against that. We grumble and gripe about that. But freedom in Christ is a freedom not to do those things and be fine with that. That's okay with me. Remember Paul said, when this issue of eating meat to idols came up, He said, you know what, if eating meat offends someone else, I have freedom in Christ. I'm able to give up eating meat for your good. No problem. That's freedom, folks. Do you agree? That's freedom. When we can can do something that God allows us to do or not do something that God says we shouldn't do, that's both sides of the freedom coin. So anyway, that's, but that's not really the issue we're, we're talking about today. We're talking about freedom in Christ. And in Christ we have freedom from sin. Yeah, we do. Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what burden Jesus is talking about there? He's talking about the burden of sin. We must first be set free from the burden of sin. Sin is a burden we were never intended to carry when God created mankind originally. And the thing about it is, the more we sin, the heavier the burden becomes. I remember, um, you know, back in the days when, especially uh, running track and you know, you might be observing a race, usually a distance race. You didn't usually talk about this in regards to one of the shorter races. But in the distance races, the longer runs, there were points where we'd look at somebody and say, oh, he just got the piano on his back. Or the thousand-pound gorilla. And you could tell when somebody, they just kind of hit the wall and it's like you can just see them. They lose energy and whoo, they're gone. They're done. Their race is over. And that's, that's, that's how sin is. It's a burden and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And Paul, uh, excuse me, the writer to Hebrews talks about that in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 where he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So he's talking about the long distance race. And keeping the thousand pound gorilla off your back. That's the sin that would burden us.
I appreciated what Mark Kulaga said last week about um, his, well, his love of the hymns and the great theology that's in them. And here's a hymn that has some great theology in it. It's called, There's Power in the Blood. Remember that? Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. It is the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus that lifts the burden of sin. Have you ever heard a testimony where someone talks about that? They come to the altar, they receive Jesus as Savior, and they talk about just how that burden was lifted from them. And then we move on to this passage from Romans chapter 8, and I'll be referring to Romans chapter 8 more than once this morning. You, however, are not... This, excuse me, this is verses 9 and 10 from Romans chapter 8. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to the death because of sin... The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. See, Jesus Christ's presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit sets us free from the power of sin. Without the Holy Spirit, we're like a helpless insect caught in a a spider's web. We can't free ourselves no matter how hard we try, no matter how much willpower we muster. No matter how much energy we exert, we're powerless against the web of sin in our lives without the Spirit of God. You cannot resist. You cannot overcome on your own. But with the Holy Spirit, we can be empowered to resist the power of sin. We can begin to change habits, conquer addictions, and find freedom from those character traits that may be breaking God's heart. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not always easy. Sometimes it takes a while. It can be a bitter struggle. In fact, in some places in the Scripture, it's compared to a war. But it's a winnable war because of the Holy Spirit of God within us. So, we can be freed from the power of sin, but what happens when we blow it? And we fall back. Well, there's the answer in 1 John 1.9, because he's writing to Christians. And he said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And we keep moving forward. We confess our sin to God to be restored to intimacy with Him. Aren't you glad that we can do that? Finally, after confession, 
and repentance, by the way. You know, sometimes we make, um, we make this process, I don't want to say too simple, but maybe a little easier than it should be because we forget the repentance aspect. Oh, we can confess. Oh, did it again confess. Oh, did it again confess. And God wants us to repent of those things, does He not? He wants us to turn and walk in a new direction. But I'm grateful for 1 John 1.9. So after confession and repentance, we ask God's help through the power of His Holy Spirit to walk in repentance so that we don't do this again. We take God's promise by faith that through His Holy Spirit we can move forward. No matter how hard we've fallen, God's Holy Spirit offers us resources, power, victory, if we'll only ask. Right? And while this... While God the Son was the key to freedom from the penalty of sin, God the Holy Spirit is the key to freedom from the ongoing power of sin in our lives. Remember that hymn, O for a thousand tongues to sing? Verse 4 says, He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. The hymn, Blessed Be the Name. He breaks the power of canceled sin. That's how it starts. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His blood can make the foulest clean. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's your theology again. And then, Jesus sets us free from condemnation. John 3.18 Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Second Thessalonians 2.12 All will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. I, I cannot imagine being on death row knowing that you're condemned to die for your crimes. I, I, I can't imagine that. I, but you know what? In a spiritual sense, that's where we all were at some point in our lives. We were on, in a spiritual sense, we were on death row, condemned to die for our sins. That's where we find find ourselves without Jesus. And the Scripture is pretty clear. It says, number one, all have sinned. Number two, the wages of sin is death. We are condemned. But Romans 8.1 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, there is now no condemnation. The word condemnation here describes a person who's been judged guilty of a crime and thus liable for the penalty of that crime. In this case, we've been judged guilty of sin and the penalty for that is spiritual death. 
it describes, this word condemnation describes both the verdict and the penalty. And in the context of Romans that this Scripture came from, Paul's talking about our guilt for sin and the death sentence we deserve because of our sins. But but for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, there's no longer a guilty verdict for a death sentence. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) How can that be possible? It is amazing. It's a miracle. How can that be possible? Well, Paul tells us that what God's law, the Ten Commandments, could not do, God Himself did by sending His Son. God's law was never intended to be the solution to sin, just as the Colorado Penal Code can't rehabilitate a sinner. Uh, Excuse me, a criminal. Which is a sinner. (laughs) God's law can't rehabilitate the sinner. And just as the Colorado Penal Code condemns the lawbreaker, so God's law exposes our sin and condemns us. So instead of relying on the law to rescue us from our plight, God sent His Son into the world. For God so loved the world. In Romans 8.3 it says that God sent His Son in the likeness of sinful man. This is telling us that God's Son, Jesus, became truly human. He wasn't just half human. He wasn't part human. He was fully human. And He totally identified with our condition. Jesus became a genuine human being to be a sin offering, a a sacrifice offered on our behalf. This means Jesus willingly took upon Himself the consequences and penalty of human sin on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, sin was judged and condemned even though Jesus was innocent. Jesus didn't deserve to die, but He willingly took the condemnation of our sin upon Himself. Aren't you thankful for that? Jesus did this so that the righteous requirement of God's law could be met. You see, God's law required a perfect life, a life totally free from failure and sin. So, Jesus lived that kind of life. A life that never rebelled against God. A life that never broke God's law. A sinless life. You know, it's troubling to me when you think about this truth of Jesus Christ. It's troubling to me that George Barna's study of Christian beliefs in America some years ago found that 29% of Christians believe that Jesus committed sins during his lifetime. 
If that were true, then the righteous requirements of God's law were not met in Christ, and he was not the perfect sacrifice. Well, thank God that's not true. We know that Jesus was the spotless, meaning sinless, Lamb of God. And according to Romans, because of Jesus' sinlessness, when we trust in Jesus, who died for our sins, our condemnation is transferred to Him, and His sinlessness, His righteousness becomes ours. Thus, when God looks at us, He no longer sees our sin and the condemnation it deserves, but He sees Jesus' perfect obedience. Jesus lived the life we failed to live and died the death we deserve to die. Jesus Christ's death on the cross sets us free from the penalty of sin. See, both the verdict and the sentence have been taken away by Jesus Christ. Both the verdict and the sentence have been taken away by Jesus Christ. See, this isn't simply a pardon like the president can offer to people who have been convicted of crimes. A person who pled guilty and is serving their sentence can be issued a presidential pardon. When the president does that, it doesn't erase the conviction. It simply releases the person from the penalty of the crime they committed. But when Jesus died for us, both the verdict and the sentence were taken away by Him. So this kind of freedom is uniquely related to Jesus Christ, God's own Son. It was through His birth, His perfect life, His willing sacrificial death, and His victorious resurrection that makes this possible for us. And although God the Father and God the Holy Spirit were involved in this process, the instrument of this freedom is Jesus Christ, God's only Son. And the moment we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we are completely free from the penalty of our sin. Talk about good news. We will never be more free from the penalty of our sins than we are at the moment that we trust Jesus Christ to be our Savior. And then, in Christ, we can have freedom from fear. Romans 8, 14, and 15. Excuse me, 15 and 16. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it tells us, Since the children have flesh and blood, He too, speaking of Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by His death He might break the power of sin or the power of Him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Fear can be like a prison that holds us captive. Janus Roos was a young shoemaker when he went into hiding at his sister's farmhouse in June 1945, fearing punishment 
for pro-Nazi wartime activity. Yanez said he used to cry when he heard happy voices outside, but dared not show himself even at his mother's funeral. He was found 32 years later after his sister bought a large supply of bread in the nearby village of Zalna. If I had not been discovered, I would have remained in hiding. So I am happy that this happened, Roos told the reporter. Throughout those years, he did nothing. He never left the house. He could only look down at the village in the valley. Yana's story is a sad one because his bondage was self-imposed and needless. And so ours is ours too if we allow ourselves to be controlled by fear. Fear of death, fear of the future, fear of failure. By the way, we're talking about being controlled by fear. We're talking about living in fear. We'll all have moments when we're afraid, won't we? I remember um, Julie and I went to San Antonio just before. Well, it's kind of that we went there to pray about being pastor here. We just took this break. And so one of the things we did was we went up on the Tower of the Americas and we had dinner there. And then you can walk outside to an observation deck. There's a rail. Looks like it's about a mile to the ground. You know, there were time when there was a time when that kind of thing didn't bother me, but it's like I could not wait to get back inside to the restaurant. That was there was this fear, and we'll all have moments like that, won't we? But what we're talking about here is not living in fear, not living in captivity to fear like this man did for 32 years. And because Jesus has taken the sting of death, death death holds no terror for those who trust in Him. And as for your future, God's Word promises that He has a hope and a future for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope. And a future. You can trust your future with Him. Jesus said that not, not even a sparrow falls to the ground without the Father's knowledge. How much more then is He caring for you? And we need not fear failure because Christ has already won the victory in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 56 through 18. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We can have freedom from fear in Jesus Christ. And because He's given those, us those freedoms, then in Christ we are free to love. Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul's idea is that before we became Christians, we were slaves to sin so that we could not love others as Jesus does, even if we wanted to. But now we've been set free from this 
so that we are now able to love. We are free to love. And this needs to be recognized as a different kind of freedom that we normally think about. Our society tells us that freedom is the ability to do whatever we want. That is not, this is not that kind of freedom. It is freedom to love. We love because we have been loved first. Just think of all that God has done for us. And we are to respond in love to God by loving others. Love is defined by Jesus. The Scripture tells us He loved me and gave Himself for me. Love is inspired by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is expressed by serving others. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. We are free to love. We are also free to serve. In fact, that's that's what this verse I just shared with you is about. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. We are free to serve. Galatians 5.13, and I mentioned this earlier, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. We have freedom to serve others, not to exploit them. In fact, a mark of our freedom is how we serve God by serving others. Did you know that Christian freedom in service is voluntary slavery? The Greek word for serve means to be a slave. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. That's Romans 6.22. And in Matthew 20.28, it says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And we are supposed to follow Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We are to emulate Him. The Spirit of Jesus was a spirit of service. When Jesus lives in us, then we, like Jesus, are called to serve. And our freedom in service is not self-seeking. It is self-sacrificing. The only thing that counts, again, is faith expressing itself through love. Serve one another in love. Those two are closely linked to each other. We have the freedom to love, and because of that, we have the freedom, we are free to serve. And then, we are free to obey. John 14:23. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves Me will obey My teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Three things to take note of here. First, Jesus said that anyone who loves Him will obey His teaching. It's not optional. That's what you do if you love Jesus. You obey Him. He didn't say you might obey or you have a good chance of obeying. He said you will obey. Second, Thing is, God loves it when we show our love to Him through obedience. My Father will love them. And then third, we are free to obey because Jesus said, we will come to them and make our home with them. How do they do that? 
by the indwelling Holy Spirit. It is through the power of the Spirit that we are free to obey. Romans 8.5 Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. We are free to obey. Aren't you glad for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ? The world does not give it. The world cannot take it away. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today grateful that it is for freedom that Jesus Christ set us free. And I know today we just scratched the surface. We were so thankful for the freedom we have in Jesus Christ freedoms from sin, freedom from condemnation, freedom from the power of sin, freedom from the penalty of sin, freedom to obey, freedom to serve, freedom to love. It is truly for freedom that Jesus Christ has set us free. And for so long, Satan has told us that to follow Christ is like a straitjacket. It's the opposite of freedom. Oh God, I pray that we will understand that the greatest freedom we can enjoy is that which Jesus Christ gives us. Through His death, His resurrection, and the power of His Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And Father, may we be free as your Holy Spirit works in us to share the freedom we have in Christ with others so that they too can walk in freedom. And my prayer is, beyond all of that, that if there's anyone here today who's not experiencing that freedom, that they would take that step of surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ, who has paid the debt on the cross, who took upon himself the penalty, the condemnation of sin, so that we could walk in the freedom that he gives. To accept you, Lord Jesus, in their heart and life. Allow you to take away that burden that they've carried and to walk in the freedom that only you can give. Thank you, Father, that you loved us so much that you would do that for us. Thank you for what you've said to us today through the truth of your word. Now bless us as we go, I pray, with your grace and peace. And may we rejoice in the freedom that you have given us. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.